So this pencil is you. Doesn't it look like you? You have a little bit, <laughs> a little bit. Uh, you have friends, right? You have friends. Supposedly, they're people like you. Supposedly, they're people that you like, right? Now, Facebook has messed this all up because Facebook has this category of people that are called friends, but you're not sure you like all of them. And they're not like, some of them you don't even know, right? You're like, how did I end up friends with them? So it's messed up our category of what even a friend is. But the truth is, you actually have real, not virtual friends. So today, we're going to talk about real friends and real friendship. And to demonstrate what I want to talk about, I'm getting a buddy to help. Matthew's going to come up here and help me. So y'all give Matthew a hand because he's going to be my helper. Hey, come, come right here, Matthew. You're going to hold. This is you, Matthew. Okay? Would you stand, stand right here? Okay? Right here. Face the crowd. Face the crowd. Yeah. Let's stand. Scoot back there. There we go. There we go. You're good. So, your name's Matthew. Tell them what grade you're in. Ninth grade. What school you go to? Vestavia High School. Vestavia. Okay. Let's give Matthew another hand. He's doing a great job. <laughs> I, I promised Matthew there would be no, uh, there would be no talking. So, that's it. That's, uh, that's all we get. All right. So, Here's the deal, Matthew. This is you. This is your friends. So I want to talk about the kind of friends that we all have. And Matthew's a friend of, of my, my oldest son, so that's, that's cool. So we all have friends that make us laugh. You have friends that make you laugh, Matthew? Yeah, we all have friends that make us laugh. What does it look like when you're laughing? <laughs> no, Matthew, not you. This is you. What is that? Uh, yeah, yeah. Ha, ha, ha. That's good. That's a laughing pencil. That's good. We all friends that make us laugh. We like being around them. They're fun. To, they always have just, you know, just the right joke at just the right time. And that's great. But the problem is that sometimes life kind of takes us to the breaking point and laughing doesn't always help. So I just want you to just see if you can break that pencil. Okay. Whoa, 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 whoa. Before you do it, remember it's a laughing pencil. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> very strong, Matthew. You're very strong. Okay. So that, okay. Now there are other kinds of friends. So laughing doesn't help. There's other kind of friends. We all have friends that make us fill in the blank. You need another you. This is you. That make us crazy. Right? That make us pull our hair out. That make us, oh, they drive us bonkers. They, they make us have a headache. You have friends like that? Is my son one of those friends that does that? Okay, okay. Well, that's good. That's good. That's good. But you know what I mean? In fact, these kinds of friends, I want you to just hold the pencil like this. Can you hold it like that? Now, I want you to turn and face me. Okay? These friends leave a mark. Now, do you know what this is? This is called pencil fighting. When I was your age, we didn't have phones. So this is what we did in middle school and high school. <laughs> so if you're my age and you tell people like Matthew that his generation is ruining the world, we fought with pencils. I just want to remind you of that, right? You ever done this? Oh, man, this is fun, but it's going to start tomorrow at Vestavia, right? Yeah. Don't get in trouble. Okay. So they actually leave a mark, and they actually leave dents, and they actually kind of scratch us up. I call these people extra grace required, EGRs. You're related to some of them. They're not just friends. Some of them are family. And they actually kind of weaken us when life comes to the breaking point. We don't need any of those friends. See if you can break that one. Wow, good job, Matthew. All right. All right, you put that one there. I need to give you another new you. 
All right, so this is you because I want to talk about the best friends that we have. We all have friends that make us happy. These are our true friends, right? These are the people that we want to go to lunch with, that we want to hang out with, that, that, we, want to be, that we want to be buddies with. And these, I'm just going to put a smiley face on you, okay? Oh, isn't that, a, that's a happy, I don't know if the cat, okay, we probably don't have that good of a zoom. There's a smiley face on there, isn't there? Here's the problem, Matthew, with friends that make you happy. There's nothing wrong with that. This, these are the best friends. But sometimes friends whose kind of gold is to make us happy can be prone, well, they can avoid making us unhappy. And they can lead us, to see, their priority can become our personal happiness rather than godly obedience. In other words, let me put it this way, Matthew. If all people want to do is make us happy and all the friends we have want to make us happy, sometimes they tell us what we want to hear instead of what we need to hear. Right? And the problem is that there's going to come a breaking point. All right, now, I want you to see if you can break the happy pencil. It's got a smiley face. It might make all the difference this time. Oh, well, you're really strong. Okay. So, I'm going to give you one more. All right? I'm going to give you one more. We've all got those kinds of friends. But, Matthew, I think... We need friends who make us strong. We need friends who get us right in the middle of them and surround us and strengthen us and support us and join together with us. And I want you to hold all those pencils, all right? And I'm going to give you $5 if you can break those pencils. Come on, Matthew. You told me you were strong before the service. <laughs> you can't do it, man, but I'm going to give you five bucks anyway. Y'all right, right, give Matthew a hand. We need friends who make us strong. And today I want to talk about friendships. And I'm not going to tell you how to be a better friend. I'm not going to tell you how to have the best friendships. I'm really not even going to tell you how to make new friends. But I am going to talk about how to surround yourself with people who are committed to making you strong, not happy, not just to make you laugh, hopefully friends, not friends that will drive you crazy, but to surround yourself with people that we might call friends, but we, some of them might, we might not even call friends, but the kind of people who are going to help take us to where we want to be by the end of the decade in 2030. Because that's really what this series has all been all about. Our, our faith, our, our, all these kinds of things, our finances, where do we want to be? We've got 2030 in mind. We've got a, we've got a goal. What, what are we, what are we going to do? How are we going to get there at the end of 2030? How are you going to be the kind of person that you have in mind at the end of 2030? And let me just tell you why this is so important. I want you to think about 2010 and all that has happened in your life in the last 10 years. Now, I just want to tell you, I went through some stuff over the last decade. I was thinking about it. I, I went through some stuff in the last decade. I mean, I went through some hard times. I went through some times I needed some people around me. And I, I don't want to scare you, and I'm, I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to frighten you, but in the next 10 years, between 2020 and 2030, some people in this room are going to go through some stuff. 
Because we live in a broken world. We live in a broken world where there is hurt and where there is uh, anger. We live in a broken world where there's tragedy, where there's illness, where there's disease, where there is betrayal, where there is heartache. And I, listen, I wish I could tell you it was different, but over the next 10 years, some of us are gonna reach some points in life that are gonna take us to the breaking point. And I, I wish I could tell you differently. I wish, wouldn't that be great if I could just stand up here and our message online and to the world was come to this church and believe what we believe and nothing bad will ever happen to you ever again. Boy, we could sell tickets to that, couldn't we? But that's not the gospel. The gospel isn't that if you believe in Jesus, nothing bad will ever happen to you. The gospel is that the best thing has already happened for you. The gospel is that this problem inside of you, not outside in the world, this problem inside of you, this brokenness inside of you, this ache inside of you, this sin inside of you has already been taken care of because just like we sang, heaven came down to earth in the form of Jesus and Christ died for us so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be cleansed, and so that our insides that are broken can be redeemed. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. But that doesn't mean that bad things won't ever happen. In fact, Jesus said just the opposite. He said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. And though the scriptures say that nothing, nothing could ever separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ, there are some times, there are some times that little old me and little old you feel separated from everything and everyone else. And that is why we need a community of faith that joins with us and that comes around us. And that's why we have groups. A lot of people think we just, we have a small group ministry because our staff sits around and tries to figure out ways to make you busier. It's not it at all. It's because we believe that every single person on planet earth needs people to walk alongside them, to stand with them, to say, I'm going to stand by you. I'm going to sit with you. I'm going to weep with you. I'm going to cry with you. I'm going to mourn with you. I'm going to love you. We need people in our lives. We need people. So that, that is, this idea of groups is the thing, is the lens through I want, how I want you to look at the passage that we're going to read together. But before I get there, let me talk about this mindset that I know is in the room this morning, okay? I know it's here. And it's the mindset that says, I'm good. Pastor, Appreciate it. I know you probably should preach on small groups once or twice a year, but really, I'm good. I'm busy. I don't have time for it. I don't want to be in a group. I have plenty of friends. I'm good. And you know who's the worst about this? Men. Right? right? Because men, here's what men, men are like. I don't, listen, I don't want to join your group. You're going to study a book. I ain't going to read it. Right? I don't want to sit in a circle and sing Kumbaya. I don't know what you're talking about. Linda talked about circles, scared me to death. I don't want to sit in a circle. Y'all going to start singing. Somebody's going to bring out an acoustic guitar. I'm not doing it. That's what you're thinking. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. You might be good. You might be good. You know what I want you to be? Better. 
I want you to be the best. I don't want you to be a good father. I want you to be the best father that you can be. I don't want you to be a good dad, a good husband. I want you to be the best husband. Ladies, I don't want you to be a good wife. I want you to be the best wife you can be, the best mom you can be. I don't want you to be the good employee or a good boss. I want you to be the absolute best that you can be. And I want people, when you're not good because things aren't good, to be in your life. Because in the next 10 years, you may say right now, like right now you're sitting there, you're like, I'm good, I don't know, I don't wanna sign up for that, I don't have time, I don't have a weeknight free, I don't have a Sunday afternoon free, I'm good. There's gonna come a time in your life when you're not. There's gonna come a time in your life you say, I'm having trouble at home with the teenager and things aren't good. I just lost my job and things aren't good. We're struggling financially because two cars broke down and things aren't good. We just had a big fight at home and we've never had a fight like that and I don't know where things are at with my husband or with my wife and things aren't good or my mom passed away and things aren't good or my parents passed away and my brother and sister and I are fighting over the wheel and things aren't good. And when you're not good because things aren't good, I want people to be able to come alongside you. So men, listen, specifically for you, I want you to sign up for a group, but we have an opportunity for you to pilot what community looks like. Next, sun, next Saturday morning, it's just a breakfast. There'll be no kumbaya, just bacon. <laughs> okay, just bacon. And be down in the student center. There's a big sign out there. I want you to sign up for a group too, but I want to just give you the opportunity just to pilot what community might be because what we need is community. Besides, whether you're male or female, if you say you don't need other people, if you don't need a group, then you're saying that you have figured out something that the greatest Christian who ever lived didn't. And you are saying that you don't need something that the most influential Christian, the Apostle Paul, who wrote half of the New Testament, said he needed. Because that's who we're gonna study today in this letter that he wrote that is a staggering letter. It's called Romans, that's what we call it. It's a letter to the church in Rome. Yes, that Rome. And it's, it's a staggering book, it's a staggering letter. It's the longest letter that the Apostle Paul wrote some people say it is one of the most important documents ever written because so much, it is thick and heavy with theology. It's a great book. And so much of how we understand Jesus and what we understand about salvation comes from Paul's teaching on this, in this book because he so clearly lays out what it means that Christ did for us on the cross. But it is different from every other book that, that he wrote, every other letter that he wrote. It's different from Colossians. It's different from Corinthians and Philippians. It's different from Ephesians. It's different from Galatians. Do you know how it's different? Anybody know? He wasn't the founding pastor of Rome. He started every other of those churches. He literally traveled around and he went to Thessalonica and he got a little group of people that he shared the gospel with and they started a little house church and then he left and he wrote a letter. We call it Thessalonians, first and second Thessalonians. He went to Corinth and he started a little house church of group of believers and then he left and then he wrote letters back, Corinthians, first and second. He did the same thing in Galatia and the same thing in Ephesus, but he had never been to Rome in his entire life 
This is written about the mid-50s, 20 to 25 years after Paul's conversion, after his experience where he becomes a follower of Jesus, and he's never been to Rome. And so what is Paul, this now at this point, influential Christian, influential apostle to all the churches, what is going to be his, his response and his attitude and his spirit toward a group of Christians that he had never met. I think this little introduction that we're gonna read, we're not gonna get deep into the thick theology of Romans, we, we will sometime, but today, today we're just gonna read part of the introduction and how he views them ought to shape our attitude toward community. Listen to what Paul says, it's in Romans 1, and it's, we're gonna look at eight through 12. If you don't have a Bible, Please take one. When you head out, we would love to give you a hard copy of the Bible at our stands right as you go out when you head out to sign up to serve uh, or to be in a group. But if you got your Bible and you're looking along, we're in Romans 1, or if you got your phone, uh, that's where we're looking. It says this, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Doesn't this sound like, this is a letter. This is how you would open a letter. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. Now, this is a little bit of hyperbole because, I mean, there's no cable TV or internet. Paul doesn't know all that's happening all over the world. But what Paul is saying is everywhere I go, they are talking about you in a good way. Every little church I visit, they are saying, are you hearing about what's going on in Rome? Have you heard about their faith? Have you, listen, did you hear the report about the people that are being saved, the people that are being baptized, the people that, the, the sacrifices they're making? Who would have thought in the center of the pagan world, in the world's greatest empire, in the capital, God would grow up such a movement? Have you heard? Paul says their faith is renowned. And this is so important because it is their faith. It is, th they are the reason that he wants to go be with them. Their faith is attractive. So this, this is important for small group leaders that are in the room. If you're a small group leader, here's a, I hope you'll hear me say this. No one wants to join your group. They are trying to figure out whether or not they want to join you. It's not about your book. It's not about your study. It's not about your host home. It's not about this. Those are things are important. They're part of it. But what people are trying to figure out, no one wants to join a group. People want to join people. So if there was a report about your faith, would it be the kind of faith that people want to join? You want to grow your group? You want people to join your group? Then have the kind of faith that the people of Rome had that says, I just want to spend time with them. That's what Paul said. I just want to spend, their faith is renowned. Listen to what Paul goes on and says this. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness how I constantly remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now, at last, by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. Because I don't, listen, I have already been inspired by you. But to just hear about you isn't enough. To just pray for you isn't enough. I want to be with you. 
Because I believe that something will happen when we are in fellowship and in relationship together. Paul knew that there's no such thing as saying, I'm good all by myself. You know why Paul knew this? This is God's design. In the creation stories of Genesis 1, 2, and 3, it's an incredible story that God creates the heavens and the earth and all the trees and all the plants and all the animals and everything. And I mean, it's just perfect. It's paradise. And there is no sin in the world. And Adam is in perfect relationship with God. There's no sin. Now, I just want you to think about it like that. Like that thing in your heart that sometimes gets distracted with God that, gets, that wasn't a part of Adam's heart at this point in the story. He's in a perfect relationship with God. And God looks down on Adam and all that he's made. And you know what God says? This isn't good. The, the Genesis says it like this. It's not good for man to be alone. I mean, this is a, a mind-boggling comment. Adam is in relationship with me. He has a vertical relationship. But Adam needs community. He needs to be together. And God knits Eve and creates woman. And it's not just about the companionship for God's design in marriage. That's a part of the story. But what God said is that we were not created in isolation. And if we only have a relationship with God and don't have a horizontal relationship with others, then there is an aloneness. God says it wasn't good. God said it. Paul knew it. And that's why groups and community and fellowship matter so much. And then, listen to what Paul says. So this is the next line. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to do what? To make you strong. Remember what I said? We all need friends who make us strong. We all need friends who gather with us, who surround us to make us strong, to give us strength so that when life comes to break us, it just can't break us. And this tone from Paul is pretty, pretty typical from an apostle. What he is saying is, I, I want to come to you to impart some wisdom, some teaching. And really what Paul is saying is this, I, I want to empty my cup into yours. I want to empty my cup, I, what I have learned, what I have experienced in my journey with Christ. I want to empty my cup into yours to make you strong. I don't, Paul doesn't say he's looking for friends. He's not looking to be a friend. He says, I want to come. Why? Because I want to give you strength. But what Paul writes next is stunning. Absolutely stunning. Because this is what he says. That is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Now, you and I read that and we're like, well, I mean, what's... Well, this is a big deal with that. I want, let me just tell you why this is stunning. Romans was written to all, almost all Gentile Christians. Now, that, see, that doesn't make a dent with us because the most of us in this room are Gentile Christians. A Gentile Christian was a, is a Christian who wasn't Jewish. But 
and, and this is why this is hard for you and I to understand how stunning this is. In our world, Christianity is over here and is this religion, and Judaism is over here and is a totally separate religion, and this, those are true, that we believe Jesus is Son of God, the Messiah, our Jewish brothers and sisters aren't there yet. So it is true, we, we, we do worship God differently, but for, for Paul and for all the apostles, they weren't separated like that. It wasn't like Christianity was one thing and Judaism was another. All the apostles were Jewish Christians. Most of the first Christians were Jewish Christians. The apostles were those that were disciples with Jesus, and then Jesus's brother James became kind of the ringleader. Paul was born in, was, was joined in with that after his conversion, but they all had one thing in common. They were all Jewish Christians. In other words, they believed, as we do, that Jesus, but it was closer for them. We've got thousands of years separating. For them, it was much closer. They believed that Jesus wasn't a separate thing from Judaism, but that he was the fulfillment of the promise of the one Hebrew God in the Jewish scriptures. So that Jesus was the, the final chapter the heaven come to earth, the final chapter in the story of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That Jesus was the final chapter in the story of the God who spoke to Moses and called Moses to lead the Hebrew people out of Egyptian slavery. That Jesus was the promised Messiah that Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and all the great prophets promised. That is what, they were all Jewish Christians, all the leaders were, and they saw it as their call, as their mission to go tell the Gentiles about a Messiah who had opened the door for them to join the greater story of God. Because they had been law followers, 10 commandments, all the Levitical laws their whole lives, and Jesus had opened the door for the Gentiles to join the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses, and Ezekiel, and Isaiah. And it would have not crossed a single apostle's mind to think any Gentile had anything to teach them about faith. Because they had spent their lives worshiping pagan gods, worshiping the Greek gods, making sacrifices of who knows what. Who knows what the Gentiles had done in the name of Caesar. And Paul says something stunning. I want to come to you because I need to be encouraged by you. I need you to teach me something that I don't know about faith. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know that I was raised as a Pharisee and I understood all the Jewish law and I was a strict adherent to the law and you don't, you don't even know what the laws are, but I want to learn from you about your experience with Jesus. Yes, I have memorized Genesis 1 all the way to the end of Malachi, like the whole Old Testament, and you don't even know where to flip in the scrolls. But I want to learn from you. Yes, I studied Isaiah's prophecy and Ezekiel's prophecy and Jeremiah's prophecy, and you don't even know what a prophet of God is, but I want to come and sit with you because I need to be mutually encouraged with you. Because Paul owned what he wanted us to know, and that is simply this, that Christians need other Christians. 
None of us have arrived. We need people who think differently than us. We need people who have different experiences than us. We need people who come from different backgrounds. We need people who came to faith differently. We need people who see things differently. We need people from different neighborhoods. Christians need other Christians. We were not meant to do life alone. This semester, my wife Emily and I are starting a small group for college age and young adults, up to 30 because I want to learn from them. I want to learn, I want to empty my cup into them and share with them, hey, here's what I've learned about faith. Here's what I learned about, you know, finding God's purpose and will for my life when I was your age. Here's what we've learned about marriage. Here's what we've learned about parenting. I want to empty my cup, but I want to learn from millennials and Gen Zers because I think they have something to teach me about how to reach our culture. I think they have something to teach me about faith in a digital age that I probably don't understand. I think they have something to teach me about how to relate to my teenagers better because they're closer to their age than I am. I think they have something to share with me that I can't get hanging out with 42-year-old white dudes. <laughs> They'll probably teach me how to use Instagram better, right? Or maybe I'll get a TikTok page. I don't think you have pages, right? You don't have TikTok pages. They tell me you have to dance on TikTok. Is that true? That's going to be a problem. I shouldn't be dancing. So I need to learn from them. I want to get their experience because we need other Christians who think differently. But then listen, listen there's one more thing that, why this is stunning. All right? It's this word, mutually encouraged. I want to come to you so that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. You ever think about like that's a weird, like why wouldn't it say so that we may be encouraged by each other's faith? Wouldn't that have said what Paul meant? I mean, so we could be encouraged, so we could encourage one another. It, but it's, the translators have translated this mutually encouraged, encouraged, rightly so, because what Paul uses is kind of a made up word. The word for this is simparakaleo. It's a word that's nowhere else in the scriptures. It's only used this one time in Romans 1 that Paul uses it because he kind of makes it up. It's, it's not even a, a, a real word hardly. It's a combo word. It's a compound word. And the word is a compound between these two words, sin or S-Y-N. They were to pronounce it sin. That means with or union. Now, you probably know that's where we get the word like synthesis or synergy, right? It's a joining together. It's that, that idea. And then parakaleo, exhort, admonish, encourage, beseech, address, instruct, teach. Paul could have just said so that we parakaleo each other, so that we encourage one another. But what Paul is saying, this is why this is so staggering, is that I am an apostle of God. You are these Gentile Christians who are recent converts. I have been trained in the way of the Hebrew scriptures and the one Hebrew God. But I am not coming to you just to parakaleo, just to exhort you, just to teach you, just to instruct you. I am coming because I don't want to just give you a thesis. We need to have a synthesis. Because there will be something that happens when we join together that cannot happen while we are just alone. Because we need each other. Because Christians need other Christians. You don't just need a Christian on a stage that you look at once a week. 
Christians need other Christians that they sit with throughout the week, that they text with throughout the week, that they call throughout the week. And the most influential Christian who ever lived, who wrote half of the New Testament, who had been born and raised as a zealous Pharisee, who had Genesis through Malachi memorized, who we name cathedrals after, who we name schools after, who we still name children after, knew that his knowledge and his upbringing and his wisdom for the scriptures wasn't enough. He needed other people to be mutually encouraged. And I just want to tell you something. I don't know that you need friends. I don't know that you need more friends. You might have enough. But you need people you can count on. Don't you? Because for the next 10 years, there's going to come some things happen that push us to the breaking point. And you and I both, we need people who love us enough to tell us the truth. We need friends who aren't interested in making us happy as much as they're interested in making us holy. We need friends who will look us in the eye and say, hey brother, you're better than that. Hey sister, hey, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh That's not the way we talk about our husbands. Hey brother, uh-uh, that's not the way we talk about our wives. Hey man, you're better than that. God's got bigger plans for you than that. God wants more for you than that. Where you been? You ain't been to group in three weeks. Don't you, don't you slide. People who love God more than they love us and what they want for us isn't it to be happy to, but to be in the will of God. We need people like that. We need people who sit with us, who hurt with us, who laugh with us, who cry with us, who celebrate with us, who pray for us, and who make us a casserole. Right? Now, we, in church world, we laugh about casseroles. But sometimes life gets so bad, and sometimes we get so close to the breaking point, what we need more than anything else is a big plate of macaroni and cheese and chicken casserole and somebody to just sit with us and shut up but just be there because they will tell us because what they are saying in their silence is say, hey, so listen, I am going to stand with you. Even if you walk through hell, I'm walking with you because we are the church. And Jesus said that the church would not be overcome even by the gates of hell. And you're going to get through it, brother. And you're going to get through it, sister. And I don't know what it's going to look like on the other side, but we're going to be together. And the world might be trying to break you. The world might be trying to rip you apart. But I'm here and we're here and we brought the whole group to say, not on my watch. People think we have groups because that's just one of the ministries. So this is all backwards. We have groups because Christians need other Christians. And groups are where you meet them and where you make friends who are committed to making you strong. And that's why I want you to find a group. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.
Lord, can I just take a second and pray for, just thank you for uh, men and women who led groups that I was in, men and women who stood by me through thick and thin, who I met in a Bible study, in a Sunday school class, in a small group, people who made me better. Lord, I want to pray just for people in this room who just their hearts beating out of their chest because they're thinking, I'm good. But they know they could be better. And my prayer, Lord, is that they would have just the courage to write their name on a line. Lord, I pray for people in this room that have never served and that they would have the courage to write their name on a line, to find a team and a way to serve, to find a group and to find a people. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.